Thank you. If you've got your Bibles, would you like to turn to Acts chapter 8, please? Acts chapter 8, and we're going to read verses 8 to 26. Twenty-six, sorry, um, to forty. We're going to talk about the Ethiopian eunuch. So, Acts chapter eight, and we're going to read from verse twenty-six. So, if you've all got your Bibles, can you stand while we read the, the Word of God, please? Can you just stand while we read the Word? Acts chapter eight, verse twenty-six. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise up and go towards the south on the way that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he rose up and went. And there was a man from Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in command of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. He was returning, sitting in his chariot and reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit said to Philip, go to this, chan this chariot and stay with it. Then Philip ran to him and heard him reading the book of Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you're reading? He said, how oh, can I? And that's so what guides me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The passage of scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter, as a lamb before its shear it is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will speak of his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. The eunuch said to Philip, I asked you, of whom does the prophet speak? Of himself or of someone else? Then Philip spoke, beginning with the same scripture, and preached Jesus to him. As they went on their way, they came to some water, and a eunuch said, Look, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Philip said, in 37, some of your um, translations don't have 37, but mine does. Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. He answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to halt. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptised him. When they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord took Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found in Aztec, 
And passing through, he preached the gospel in all the cities until he come to Caesarea. May God bless his word to your hearts today. We may be seated. Thank you. So, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you this morning, Lord. Just help us and guide us, Lord, to understand what you're trying to tell us this morning through your word. We bless your word, Lord, as we always say, it's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Amen. We're talking about life-changing experiences. Uh, terminology has changed over the years. Certain words we use has changed. We used to say people were seriously hurt or seriously injured. But nowadays the terminology is they've had life-changing injuries. That's mean if there's a, a, an accident or sadly a terrorist attack, people are injured in such a way they have life-changing injuries, which means their life will never be the same again because something has happened to them that's changed their life. We've all had life-changing experiences, all of us. Perhaps it's marriage, or perhaps it's having children. Damalola's life now is, now, is completely different what it was a year ago. He's probably not getting the same sleep as he used to do. But divorce or a bereavement, that can change our life and send it in a different direction. And all these experiences, we're all going to embrace one day in our lives, amen? But the best life-changing experience is when God comes into a person's life. You see the drug addict, you see the alcoholic, you see those that are bound up in all kinds of addictions, and then Jesus comes into life and they're different. So this story is about the Ethiopian eunuch. He's searching for God. He, he knew there was a God, but he didn't have a relationship with him like you or I did. He knew there was a God somewhere. And his search took him from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. And then he left Jerusalem and he was in the car and he was reading Isaiah and he didn't understand what it was, so Philip came up and explained it what it was, and he went on a little way, and he got baptised, and then he went off to Ethiopia, and Philip went off his way. That's the story, that's it. I said it was going to be a short gospel, so that's it, Philip. <laughs> but that's what we read. But there's more to it than that. So I looked into it closely. The Ethiopian travelled from his home country to Jerusalem. So I googled that and that is 1,500 miles. That's a long way, isn't it? No Ryanair or EasyJet. He travelled by sea and land. 1,500 miles. Now this eunuch was in charge of the treasury. He was what you might call the Chancellor of the Exchequer and the Candice Queen of the Ethiopians. He was in great authority, highly respected, but he was a, a eunuch. And I always thought a eunuch was just someone who was castrated. But while reading Deuteronomy, it's more than that. You know, everything's cut off. How they survived that, I never know in them days. But that's what he was. That's what happened to him. And he travelled all the way to Jerusalem to go into the temple. 
That's the place he thought he would find God and learn more about him. That's why people come to church. A seeking God. He travelled 1,500 miles through the desert with the dangers of wild animals and robbers. He was desperate to find God. But when he got to the temple, he wasn't allowed in. He had to sit outside and try to see what's going on. Why? Well, he was from a different country for a start off. Perhaps his colour of his skin was different. And he was a eunuch. In Deuteronomy 23, verse 1, it says, No one who is emasculated or has his male organs cut off may enter the assembly of the Lord. That's what the Bible says. They were very religious in those days, and some places still are today. I know when we went to Israel, we went up to the uh, Wailing Wall. Jan had to go that side, the lady's side, and I had to go this side. But there was a little entrance over there that you could go down and see the original wall because the walls are built and different. And I, I thought, I'd like to see that. So I went to go down the steps. But the Orthodox Jew, the Jews, they stood there like that. And as I went to go around, they stood in me, barred my way, and so I thought, I won't push me that too far because they didn't want me going down there. So he went all that way to find God, and what did he find? He found a cold, dead, formal religion. All the priests in their long gowns with their religious talk, but God wasn't there. Let's pray when folks come into Wellspring, they would not find a group of religious people, but folk like us who love God, are filled with God's spirit and love and honour God for what he is, and have a love for his word and each other. That's what people's looking for when they come into our church. The eunuch left that temple, a very disappointed, disillusioned, and unsatisfied man. He was very disappointed, disillusioned, and an unsatisfied man. That Ethiopian eunuch had everything. He had wealth, power, but he had that empty feeling in his heart that only God can feel. God speaks to us and sometimes we don't always find God straight away. Sometimes it can take a while. Sometimes God allows you to go through things to strengthen you. When we first got married, we come from a non-Christian family. When my son was born in 1973, it was my idea to go to a church, and we joined a church, and Jan, Jan loved it. Uh, but after a period of time, you know, peer pressure in the world drew me away, so I went away for quite a while. Then I came back again in the 1990s. But what I learned in that period of wilderness helped me to relate to other people and strengthen me. So this Ethiopian, he started his long journey back to Ethiopia and he failed to find God. But then God 
found him. <laughs> I'm so glad Jesus found me, aren't you? Turn to your ne- neighbour and say, I'm glad Jesus found me. <laughs> Psalm 50, verse 15 says, If you are a people holy to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, God chose you. Do you know you are so special that no one has your DNA? There's no two fingerprints the same. And my brother-in-law would confirm I haven't got any. I haven't. We had to go somewhere where we had to have finger recognition, and it wouldn't work. So they tried that hand and it wouldn't work. They said, try that finger and it wouldn't work. So I said, well, it's probably because I've been married for 47 years and I've worn them out with washing up. But, I, but none of our fingerprints are the same. We're all different. We've all got God's DNA in us. And we're special. We're special people. John 15, 16 said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. That's what makes us so special and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, and that fruit would remain. So that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give you. Matthew twenty-two fourteen. For many are called, but few are chosen. Psalm 119, verse 2. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies and who seek him with all their heart. Jeremiah 29, 13. You shall seek me and find me when you should search for me with all your heart. God's looking for a clean, contrite heart. He's looking for people that, that, look, that really want him. Not just a bit of religion, not just to go to church and sing a few nice songs. He's looking for people that's going to be committed to him, that's going to trust in him. That's why sometimes you go through certain issues because God's looking to see if you're going to trust him or you're going to trust the world. While I was preparing this message, it came to me a man who I remember reading about a long time ago, uh, just as I was writing this out. And it's a man called William Seymour. He was born in 1817 and died in 1922. We're reading the story about the eunuch that was not allowed in the temple and it made me think of this guy. William Seymour was a black and American. He was a son of a slave. He lost one eye when he was a child through smallpox and he grew up in a Catholic family. So he had a, a religious background. But he was hungry for God, just like the eunuch. And he went searching for God and God found him this poor one-eyed man. Acts 17.27 said, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. God would use the most unlikeliest people, like you and like me. So William Seymour, he joined a Bible study class 
But because of seg segregation laws, he had to stay outside. Lord have mercy. He wasn't allowed in. He had to sit outside. For weeks he studied and he listened and the Holy Spirit spoke to him. This was in 1906. There was a group of ladies started a holiness church and he was invited to come and preach. And he preached on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, although he hadn't been baptised in the Spirit himself. But he spoke on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And these people in the church didn't like it. It was too much. We don't want this. So he went back the next week and he wouldn't let him in. They kept him out. But there was a couple called Mr. and Mrs. Richardson. They'd started a prayer meeting and they invited William Seymour along. And the Holy Spirit fell on that group in this house. And I believe the house is still there now. It's been renovated. And people were sitting on the lawn. The house was filled. The Holy Spirit fell on that building. And it was all outside on the, on the veranda. And there were so many people crammed in this house that the veranda collapsed. And they realised they had to find another building. So on the corner of where they were living was an old Methodist church. It was a stable and it was a wood yard. But the men cleaned it out and they took in planks to sit on and they made a makeshift altar. And the address was 312 Azusa Street. Does that ring bells with anybody? That was the start of the Azusa Revival. That one-eyed son of a slave was the instigator of a revival that saw thousands come to Christ. Thousands come to Christ. And it's still effective today. Zusa Street Revival. Look it up for yourself. He's one man that I want to meet when I get to heaven. I want to shake that man's hand when I get to heaven. Life-changing experience? God certainly changed his life. And he's changed thousands of other people's life. God will make or use the most unlikeliest people. Let me remind you. Abraham, he was an old man. Moses stuttered. Rahab was a prostitute. David was a murderer and an adulterer. Jonah ran from God. Matthew was a text collector. And as we did last week, a little boy and a five loaves and two fish. And Saul became Paul was a persecutor of Christians. You see, God would use the most unlikeliest people, and He's using you. Hosea six three. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. Amen. One Galatians three twenty eight. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. 
That's what I love about this church. No matter where you was born, where you come from, how much money you got, we're all one in Christ. Amen? We're all one family. So the Ethiopian eunuch leaves Jerusalem a disappointed man. But God was working in the background. And God's working in the background for you. You probably never got to where you are in your Christian walk today if someone hadn't have helped you. God will always bring someone alongside you to help you, like the eunuch. When you're struggling, someone will come along. Someone will phone, phone you up and pray for you if you're in the circles that you're in. I can remember some years ago, I only thought of this this morning as I was about to leave the house. Before we come to Welshwing, we'd left our church in the earth. We hadn't had a rail with or anything like that, but we just felt that we, we needed to go to a different fellowship. And so we went to the Salvation Army. And I did a Bible study there. And then we joined Wellspring. But we got friends with the Salvation Army. And we continued to go there. We used to do the morning service here and then go around to the Salvation Army with the core officers, uh, David and Susan. There was a lovely couple. And so I got to know a lot about the Salvation Army. And one day I was getting ready for work years and years ago. And I was sitting on the edge of my bed listening to Premier and they said, we're having a competition. Who can tell us who the founder was of the Salvation Army? William Booth, I knew that. And so I was getting ready for work and he said, we've had a couple of women phone up but no one's given us the right answer. Where's you men? And I thought, nah, never got into a competition before. So I thought, well, if I ring, would they answer? So I rung, and they answered. And I told them the, the answer to what they wanted, and uh, they said, can we have your name and address? And I told them. And then they announced Brian Bennett from Welling has just won the competition this morning. And they phoned me up, and they said, what would you like, brass bands or the Salvation Army International Songsters? I said, I'll have that one. And they sent me this CD, and there was one song, I'm not going to sing it, so don't worry, there was one song that the, the lyrics really stood out for me, and I've shared it with so many people, in fact, even abroad. And I sent it to, um, my, I was a, a bus driver, my bus conductor, he died in the Isle of Wight, and I sent it to his widow, and she read it out at his funeral. And it means a, a lot, because somebody has prayed for you in the past, and the, and the words are, when my heart was so broken that I could not pray, when love wasn't easy to see, someone was there and somebody cared and somebody prayed for me. When somebody went to the throne of heaven, somebody lifted my name, bringing me into his holy presence, saying what I could not say. Somebody showed me the face of his mercy when darkness was all I could see. Somebody pleaded the blood of Jesus and somebody prayed for me. When the future looked hopeless and I'd given up, when I'd lost sight of my dreams, somebody near dried every tear and somebody prayed for me. You know, I send my Sunday texts out every Sunday, about 160 of them, and some people repost them on. And through Sunday and Sunday evening, my phone pings and it's somebody says, would you pray for somebody? Last night it was a lady who wanted me to pray for her. She had 
four sons and a daughter, and two of them are alcoholics. One's just come out of prison. And Mickey this week asked us to pray for your friend Richard. And when these come through, don't say, yeah, okay, we'll pray. Do it. Because somebody prayed. When somebody asked you to pray, they may not have the strength to pray, but we need to pray for these folks. So we never take that lightly. It's a, it's a privilege, really. I usually tell Jen when someone rings up and they're in a... Jen's a better speaker than me. I always say, would you pray? And she'll say, who is it? She, she don't even know who it is half the time. But yes, yeah, pray. Somebody prayed for me. But God was working in the background. And he was about to use an evangelist called Philip. Now in that time, the, the Jews and the Samaritans weren't getting on very well together. And so Philip's job was to preach Jesus to him. And he was doing an excellent job, Philip the evangelist. Now, out of all the workers in God's kingdom, I think an evangelist is the best, personally, because an evangelist must be a servant, deacon. They must have wisdom, and they're preaching Jesus. I think that's better than any elder, any pastor. I honour an evangelist. And Philip was an evangelist. In fact, he was in Acts 8, 5 to 6. He was a servant. He was one of the seven uh, that was distributing food to the widows. And so he was a servant. He knew how to, he had a servant heart. He knew how to serve. Acts 5, Acts 8, verse 5. Philip went down to the city of Siberia and preached Christ to them. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miracles which he did, they listened in unity to what he said. So he was doing a great job. He was working for the Lord. He was in the city. Who are in the city? People. But then in verse 26 of chapter 8 in Acts, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise up and go towards the south of the way that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert. So he went. He got up and he went. I would have thought, you know, I'm doing a great job here. What do you want to send me out into a desert for? But he went. He was obedient to what God said. And we must be obedient to what God says. I can remember, and I might have told you this before, many years ago, it must have been over 20 years ago, and I was on early turn, I was bus driver, early turn. I could have been a late turn or middle turn, but no, I was early turn. And a union rep came in and he said, one of our drivers called Dave, younger than me, has got cancer. Well, we knew that. And he came in one morning and he said, we've just heard that Dave has got a matter of weeks to live. Terrible. When I was driving home, I was driving along Plumstead Common, and I couldn't believe it. There was Dave, very thin, gaunt. He's obviously suffering. And I stopped the car, and he was a man's man, you know? He would turn the air blue if he spoke. But he was, God loved, still loved him. And I stopped the car, and I thought, I'm going to tell him about Jesus. And as I see him walking, perhaps I didn't know as much then as what I know now, my nerve went and I drove away. 
and he died a week later. Never forgot that. And God often sort of reminds me sometimes that if God asks you to speak to somebody, it doesn't matter if you're going to make yourself look an idiot, do it, you know? I can remember last year or so, we got off the bus, Jan and I with little Betsy, and we was walking down the high street, and I walked past this shop, I think they were selling um, wedding cakes or something, and there was a woman just sitting at the counter. And I said to Jen, I won't be a minute. And it was just so strong, and I went into this shop, and I said to this lady, I hope you don't mind, this might seem odd, but can I just pray for you and your business? And to her amazement, she went, yeah, please. And I just said a very short prayer, not one with long words. As I walked out, she said, you'll never realise how much that meant to me. And I got outside and Jen said, where have you been? So I just went, wedding cake shop? What are you going in there for? But yeah, sometimes it may seem odd, but just do it anyway. So Philip was obedient. And evangelists, they're servants. Because sometimes he was serving the women with the food, the widows, because he realised that you can't get the words God's through on an empty stomach. You have to feed them, get their strength up first. So then he finds himself on the desert road. And along came the Ethiopian eunuch. Now you probably think of him just in a horse and cart, just jumping along. But he was a wealthy man. He was a very powerful man. So I could imagine it wasn't just a horse and cart. He probably would have had a great big long caravan. He probably would have had uh, uh, soldiers with him, bodyguards with him. He probably would have food and possessed. This was a long trip he was going to go on. So he couldn't be missed, really. And in verse 29 of Acts 8, it said, The Spirit said to Philip, Go to this chariot and stay with it. In verse 30. Philip heard him reading the book of Isaiah. And Philip said to him, do you know what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless somebody guides me? So he invited Philip to come up into his carriage with him and sit with him. The Bible is a great book, amazing book. But to be honest, there are some parts that need to be explained to you. We need a Bible teacher. We need a Sunday school. That's why Jan's out there with Jenny teaching the children. And this is why a couple of years ago I started a Sunday school and now we've started to bring it in the church. We're having the Sunday school for you guys. You think, well, yeah, I know it all. It's surprising what we learned, what we learned this morning when Brother Len was bringing it to us. When we're doing it, we learn from what you look at, you know, you look at that, we're looking through the book of Mark. You could see something in Mark. Do you know, I never see that before. That's how we learn. But sometimes there are certain things that just need it to be explained to us. We was in our first church and this a little old lady came in. Where's Margaret gone? Ah, Margaret Berlin. Wake her up, she's asleep. Uh, Margaret, do you remember Margaret Collier? That's how I met uh, my sister Margaret there. That's where we met. She was a very old lady, but she was a wonderful Bible teacher. And she would really express the word of God. And as uh, Brother Len was explaining this morning about John the Baptist, he was just dressed in uh, camel's hair and a belt, and he just ate honey and everything. He wasn't 
interested in material things. She just had enough to sustain him, and this was the same with her. I went to her fridge, and all there was was a drop of milk. The fridge was completely empty. Her clothes were not very good at all, really. But all she wanted was to preach and teach the word of God. And towards the end of her life, she was handing me things. You take the meeting next week. And then she'd give me these VHS tapes and cassettes. She was handing a mantle over to me. And then she died nearly 80. She, she came here just before she died. And the last sermon she heard was, was Len's servant, sermon. She went home in the car and she said, that, that, that. <laughs> she, Oh, I love that sermon. She was all fired up. But that's the sort of people God brings your way. If you haven't got that person, pray for one. <laughs> and so, and so he was explaining, Philip explained the word of God to him. So they must have kept going because in verse 36, as he went their way, moving along, they came to some water and a eunuch said, Look here, some water, what hinders me from being baptised? And in verse 37, I said, some Bibles haven't got this in it, mine has. If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That proves that they must have been moving all the time because when Philip got in his carriage, it was in the desert. But then he said, look, here's some water. So he must have reached Gaza. So there must have been a long time that Philip was preaching Jesus to him. And when he found some water, I believe, I believe, believe and be baptised. Now look at this in verse 39. When they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord took Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more. But Philip was found in a different town, which was nearly about 30 miles away. And the eunuch went on his way, rejoicing. Life-changing experience? <laughs> and I imagine the eunuch preached Jesus in Ethiopia, and the message spread. Did God find the Ethiopian eunuch in the temple? God came to him in the desert on that lonely road of life. A lonely desert road. You may know someone that's on that lonely desert road. God can use you. And he can use any of us. For the video. Holy Spirit, use us this week. Holy Spirit, rain down. Rain down. Let your power fall. Let your voice be heard. Come and change our hearts as we stand on your word. Holy Spirit, rain down.